In this episode of 1869, the Cornell University Press podcast, we're talking history. So the American Historical Association is the primary professional organization of historians in this country, and each year historians of all ilk uh, gather to present papers, submit book proposals, bend the ear of editors, uh, network, and yes, even buy books. Cornell University Press takes an exhibit booth uh, at the conference each year, and we send some staff, usually from the acquisitions team, uh, to display our books and talk to authors past, present, and future. This year, two of my colleagues, Emily Andrew and Bethany Wasik, made the trip to D.C., so we thought it'd be fun to recap the conference in this podcast and uh, see what they had learned and done while they were there. Emily is Senior Acquisitions Editor, acquiring books in the fields of military history, modern European history, Asian history, and contemporary American politics and society. Bethany is assistant editor, and she focuses on archaeology. Well, hi, Emily and Bethany. Thanks for joining us. Thank you, Martin. Thanks for having us. So you were both recently at the uh, AHA conference um, in D.C., right? Yes. Yeah. So um, I... I you know, it's always interesting to get people's thoughts when they come back from a conference. You've obviously met a lot of people, done a lot of talking, hopefully sold a lot of books. Um, so, you know, what were your overall thoughts uh, about the conference this year? Emily, you want to go first? Sure, I'll start. I, um, I've been going to AHA now for two years um, since I've been at Cornell University Press. So um, my impressions don't have a lot of history behind them, but I would say that the conference still seems very well attended to me. It doesn't seem like it's getting anemic in terms of attendance or enthusiasm. Um, and in fact, scholars are, as they contend with whole new kind of world realities right now and engage with these new political realities that we're all facing, that is changing their scholarship too or affecting it and making it very vibrant. I thought there was a nice mix of senior scholars and their graduate students, people whom they were mentoring throughout the process. And um, so that was my impression of the conference itself. And in terms, Martin, of its setting, I thought DC actually was a spectacularly good setting for a national conference um, because of all the incredible museums around. And lots of the conference goers also went to the museums. Um, I wasn't lucky enough to get to the one I really wanted to go to, which was the Museum of African American Histories and Culture. Um, I gather you have to just book months in advance for that museum. But I did go to the US Holocaust Museum um, and just found the whole experience so enriching. Uh, that is the public history aspect of what was happening at the conference, and it was really complimentary for me. Great. So you weren't one of the uh, the many attendees on who on Twitter were moaning about the uh, the fact that it was a quote unquote cold weather city in January. Well, Martin, um, I work from, um, for most of the year from Toronto, so um, I feel quite macho on this question. 
<laughs> Bethany, what about you? What were your thoughts? Um, it was a good experience. It was my first time um, behind the booth, so to speak. I had gone to a lot of academic conferences when I wasn't academic. Um, but it was a really good experience to see how exhibiting worked, um, to meet a lot of our authors, uh, which there were a lot of our authors there came by to say nice things about the press. Um, and it was also really nice to observe Emily uh, acquiring and talking to authors and what, um, what are important things to address with them, with prospective authors, um, and just a good experience to introduce people who aren't our authors yet to our books and what's new and exciting. Did you, um, does AHA do those uh, first timer little things below your badge? Not that I was aware of. Or they always make me laugh. It's like pointing out <laughs> the fact that you're, this is, you know, you're a rookie. Um, I just think those are funny. So what did you think of that, Martin? Does that, is that a good thing to sort of say welcome or is it weird? I don't know. I mean, from a, on my, from a personal standpoint, I think it, it sort of is a weird thing to point out. Yeah. Um, I totally get why, right? Because yeah, you, you're welcoming new people to the, to the group kind of thing. But it's like, I don't know, it's like putting a great big label on your head and saying, I know nothing, you know, which may be good, maybe bad. But yeah, from, I, I always take them off if I'm giving them. <laughs> AAP or AAP uh, does that for their annual meeting. And I had it on my badge the first time. And it was useful because I had just switched into publishing. And so to meet people, it yeah. helped, but yeah, I don't know. Exactly. I, yeah, I think it's double. <laughs> it has a purpose. But right, exactly. Purpose, but sometimes I just think. I, I also know. wasn't just out of college, so. Yeah. yeah. What do you think, Emily? Does it um, I don't, I think you can tell if somebody's young, they're probably new to the conference. Um, I know that is a bit ageist, but that's what it seems. It's sort of like those ridiculous, I'm completely digressing here, but those baby on board bumper stickers yeah. that you see everywhere now, yeah. uh, you should just be careful with everyone, whether they are a baby or a seasoned driver and that is also my approach to acquisitions that sounds very smart to me um digressions is uh, are totally fine by the way that's kind of the point of this but so i'm interested in learning what you guys learned that was this you know sort of fascinating and interesting to you both so bethany you want to go first this time um a lot of what i learned had to do with publishing and how exhibits work. I did a lot of observing. I took a lot of notes um, just because I hadn't done that before. Um, it was also nice to see people I had met in university presses before in a new setting um, and to see them at work as well and how their presses work at um, exhibits at large conferences. Was there something at somebody else's exhibit that stood out? Um, not in particular to me. I noticed a difference in where exhibits were located. We were in the front. Um, it was warmer. The ones in the back weren't getting as much traffic because it was by cold doors. So they were offering, um, more lures, so to right. speak, to get traffic back there, which is completely understandable. I mean, I asked, I asked the question because I always think it's a little bit like, um, 
it's a little bit like walking down a farmer's market yes. in that everybody has the same produce, right? Yes. And it's all set out in exactly the same way. So I always, when I go to a, a scholarly conference that we're exhibiting at, I always look to see, is somebody doing something different, right? Because otherwise it's literally, everybody has a book on a stand, you know, and they're all jammed next to each other and there's like a, a giveaway or something. Right. And so, yeah, I'm always intrigued to see, is somebody doing something different? The differences I saw were mostly in the size of the booths, how many books they had out. Mm -hmm. um, because it was very, there were, there were large presses there. Um, there were large trade house presses there um, and really small university presses. Right. What about for you, Emily? What, what uh, was the most interesting thing or fascinating thing you learned or saw or maybe, yeah, not did, because that was the museum, right? We, we, yeah. That one. Um, so professionally, um, I, one of the things I found fascinating is I went out for breakfast with somebody who sits on the faculty board of another prominent university press, and she told me about the way their faculty board works, which is quite different than ours. Um, and so that is one of the great pleasures of attending these professional meetings, that you can get some kind of wider perspective on how other people are doing things, why it's different, why we might, might take a page from their book, or why we might be perfectly happy doing things the way we are. So having outside perspectives is like opening a window on a room um, that hasn't been opened for a while. So I found that really interesting and I was able to share that with my editorial colleagues as well. Um, I also found it interesting that naturally enough, publishers, editors are still competing for manuscripts. Um, when a manuscript's good, everyone wants it. And uh, I had to detail with several authors um, the reason why we tend not to send manuscripts into review simultaneously with other presses. And yet, given the scarcity, uh, given the fewness of publishers and the manyness of authors and the current fiscal realities of scholarly publishing, which are interesting um, to use the expression from an ancient Chinese curse or benediction, I'm not sure which, um, I felt there was a real uh, cooperativeness in the room. We were all discussing publishers. We were all discussing kind of the challenges and joys of doing our job right now. Um, and so even as we were all looking to acquire the same authors on, on many of the similar projects, I think there wasn't a ruthlessness to it, which I quite liked. There are other conferences I go to that feel quite ruthless in terms of the acquisitions process. And this one was just more thoughtful, lots more discussions, um, both with my fellow editors and with authors. In terms of um, some interesting things I learned about the discipline, mostly those were things that interested me anyway before I got there. So I was gratified to find that military history is making its way back into the larger discipline and the larger discipline is making a space for military history. Um, so there were several panels actually um, that were circling around this topic or this approach or methodology. In fact, people who had never really looked at military studies before as historians were asking me questions like, is veteran studies now a thing? 
is it now an area, a multidisciplinary area of inquiry that brings in, say, military studies with disability studies, with history and policy making. So um, that was another thing I found interesting too. Okay, great. Uh, you mentioned um, uh, the, I won't call it a phenomenon because it's not new or outstanding or anything, but the idea of simultaneous submission. What, right. What's your general feeling on that? Well, um, my general feeling is this. I did the canary in the coal mine once, Martin, in the area of American politics, which in my areas of acquisition seems the most intensely competitive. Mm. There was a manuscript I really liked. The idea interested me. The execution, I thought, was interesting and well done. Um, of course, other publishers wanted it as well. And I thought, okay, I'm just going to give this a try. I'm going to send it into review simultaneously with other publishers. The problem with that, of course, is we're all approaching the same readers. Um, and the other problem that I knew was that um, people quite naturally will go with the press that produces the peer reviews that are least challenging or that, that indicate publication is not far off. So in this particular case, I got two reports, both of, I've never received reports like this, between uh, 10 and 20 pages long. I mean, speaking of engagement. Um, and I sent them to the author, waited to hear back for months. Well, he waited to hear from his other publishers who hadn't commissioned reports as quickly. Uh, those reports came in. They indicated that the manuscript was fine and was with some more modest tweaking was ready to go. And then the author started asking me a series of marketing questions to glean whether he should continue the process with us or with the other press. And I simply couldn't, I just couldn't give him the answers he wanted. There was so much to do editorially that I thought marketing was too far down the line. In any case, I tell this very long-winded story just to illustrate the complications with a simultaneous submission and to say it at Cornell University Press, except in very rare cases, we don't really entertain it. What we do promise instead is a very swift turnaround time and uh, keeping in touch, keeping the lines of communication open and efficient with authors in a way that I think is both admirable and honest. Do you think, um, you know, that I, I think, you know, what you talk about not really wanting to entertain the idea and I, you know, looking back over the last 10 years, it's certainly been not the thing to do, right? But do you think it's changing? I mean, it's sort of a bit more of a trade approach, right? Where you where you sort of hedge your bets and and try and get the best deal you can as a as an author. So, do you think academics are moving that way as well? I think, Martin, my experience um, has been different disciplines respond differently to that. So, as I say. Um, I have found that much more with political scientists, much less with historians. 
Um, and the other problem from our perspective about doing that, and not to sound entrenched, but just to say, when I take on a manuscript, when any one of my colleagues at Cornell University Press takes on a manuscript, we start investing intellectually in it. So what if we were just sending it out for review and that's all there was to it, then sure, simultaneous submission would be a fairly low risk proposition for us. But because we're also trying to shape it and make it the best book it can be because making an excellent book is different than making an excellent piece of scholarship um, that is not something that you know we embrace we're just going to pause for a moment uh, to highlight one of the books that gained a lot of attention at the booth uh, at this year's AHA and that's Max Bergholtz's violence as a generative force identity nationalism and memory in a Balkan community it's already won just about every award going. And at the conference, uh, Bethany and, and Emily noted that uh, all of the display copies sold out in a matter of you know, no time at all. Um, and so, you know, Mark Thompson at the University of East Anglia noted that this excellent and enlightening book deserves the widest readership possible, and we couldn't agree more. So to help along with that effort, and just in case you didn't grab a copy at the conference or elsewhere, you can use a code uh, which is 09POD on our website uh, to save 30% off of Max's book. Um, Bethany, you are beginning to move into acquiring archaeology, correct? Yes. So have you run into any of this kind of uh, already, you know, with, with uh, simultaneous submissions? And if so, how, how are you, or how are you dealing with it, or how will you deal with it? Will you follow the same advice from Emily? follow the same thing. I have to deal with it yet. Right. Um, Interesting. All right. I, yeah, we digressed again, but that's okay. Um, Emily, I think you already kind of began to answer this, but I, were the trends that stood out at AHA? Um, Emily, you want to go first, seeing as you sort of began to answer? Yeah, so um, what I have really noticed, and maybe it's my own kind of um, political predilections, I don't know. So I follow and court these kinds of manuscripts, but I've noticed a huge upsurge. I acquire in uh, modern European history and early modern European history for the press. Um, so within that field, I noticed that there were a lot of uh, manuscripts being produced, work being researched around a cluster of issues that have to do with refugees, displaced persons, uh, the transnational flow of people following war, issues of colonialism and decolonialism are really prevalent right now. And I wonder um, sometimes if we think that these were issues, for a while we thought these were issues that not had been resolved post-Second World War, but there was a commitment to work towards some kind of international resolution, or there was a period when international norms were still bad, when we could speak about it. And so now there is really a focus on um, what Europeans were doing in North Africa and the Middle East um, in the early 20th century, and what the ramifications of 
the decolonializing project were um, and how people from those occupied lands have actually affected um, European countries as well. So that was a huge kind of cluster of trends for me in the area I acquire in. Thanks. Uh, Bethany? I don't know that I noticed much about trends. I hadn't been to this meeting before, and so I'm not as familiar with all the topics of research that the scholars at this meeting do have changed. What about, um, you know, you said that you uh, met with colleagues at other presses, people you know, uh, did you hear, did you formulate anything that could be considered a trend in, on that side of the, the conference, if you like? I don't know that I did because I don't know if those people have attended the meeting before, actually. That hadn't come up. Um, we mostly chatted about um, how much traffic we were getting, um, whether or not uh, those presses could sell on site. Um, we bonded a few, me and some colleagues bonded over the credit card payment not working so well. Um, it was little things like that, mm -hmm. um, more in the moment um, topics that we had talked about, not so much about the, the meeting as a whole. Hmm. Um, Emily, you, you mentioned, uh, uh, if you like, a, a return to looking at subjects that had been looked at before, which that's fair to say that's fairly common, right? That doesn't matter what uh, uh, discipline you're in, there's a tendency to go back and, and reevaluate uh, scholarship that's been done in the past. Is, is that sort of what you were talking about with the particularly with the, the uh, ideas of colonialism and post-colonialism? I think what I was indicating is that um, there is, uh, these are troubled issues in the world today. And these are troubled, and so people, I think, may be revisiting moments in fairly recent history, you know, only 60 or 70 years ago, to figure out what people were thinking then, what the options were, um, what they did right and what they did wrong. Um, because, of course, it's a trope that history teaches us lessons. Maybe it doesn't teach us any lessons. Maybe that's exactly why we are where we are. Mm -hmm. All right, let's uh, uh, end on a, a, a far lighter note. Because uh, <laughs> I think we could easily get pulled down that, that uh, wormhole very quickly. Um, you, Emily, talked about museums as a fun thing that you did. So hold that thought for a second. Bethany, most fun, most uh, yeah, thing that happened for you uh, at AHA? It's hard to talk getting stranded in Detroit on the way back, but... You have a strange definition of fun, but carry on. <laughs> um, I just got to, to talk with a lot of authors. I got to meet authors in person, which was kind of a big thing because I had worked with them over email, I assisted our um, American history and uh, regional history editor for the first two years I was here. Um, so I easily met 15 to 20 authors I had emailed with. Um, and so those were really interesting discussions and they were very happy they appeared to meet me as well. Um, but I got to, like I said, I got to uh, have some uh, dinner and drinks with other colleagues at other presses that I hadn't seen in a while. I met new colleagues and so, um, just having a, a small social aspect to it all was, yeah. was a really good experience. And you know, that's one of the, it's like, we're blessed with the fact that we can, can communicate with authors from wherever we are, yeah. but not meeting authors 
face to face very often is hard. And I think maybe it's different if you're in a, uh, a more urban setting where people go in and out mm-hmm. fairly often. But having worked in Nebraska before this and now having now being here, we're not on the beaten path, right? Like right. authors don't just swing by the office because they happen to be in Ithaca. Uh, whereas maybe they do if you're at NYU or Fordham or Rutgers or something. And so. in my experience, at least, I've, I've assisted a lot of editors here, um, sometimes more than average. So I've worked with a lot of authors. But on top of that, I hadn't gone to conferences. So right. there was a lot of opportunity to meet people there because a lot of them attended this conference. Yeah, yeah. Um, Emily, uh, aside from... Um, you know, ditching your responsibilities and duties at the conference in favor of attending museums. What, what was fun for you? Well, aside from ditching those responsibilities, um, eating, I had the most fabulous gin gelato at a nearby restaurant with, um, we're in the process of developing a series on the histories and cultures of tourism. And so we traveled nearby to a restaurant called the Babinga Bar, such a great name, um, and we had gin gelato. So that was a lot of fun. And for me, just on a personal note, I became like a starry-eyed graduate student. Bethany took a picture I will always treasure of me talking to... um, a very distinguished American historian whose books I had studied in graduate school 30 years before. So it was an absolute thrill to meet him in person. I felt like I was meeting a rock star. Name drop, come on, who was it? It was Ira Berlin. Ah, Excellent. Well, uh, gin gelatos and Ira Berlin and uh, uh, good food and colleagues so basically, you guys just uh, had a vacation. Sounds great. No, I'm kidding. Sounds like you, you uh, learned a lot and gained a lot of uh, connections. And um, Emily, I read your report as well. So it sounds like you've got a lot of uh, uh, potential projects coming this way as well. Um, I guess till next year, right? AHA. Where is AHA next year? Chicago? Yeah. Did you guys, actually, just before we... And did you see that uh, AHA and MLA are going to honor each other's badges? Yeah. What do you think of that? I think that's pretty neat. Yeah, yeah that's a great idea. So, Martin, are they going to be in the same vicinity next year? They're in Chicago, but I, I, I was... They're in, probably I both downtown. Yeah, I was intrigued as to whether... I mean, if they're doing that, they might as well almost combine the two, have one great big exhibit hall. It would be like you know, like a mega conference or something. But yeah, I don't know exactly where they are, but I just thought, I just saw that yesterday, day before. Yeah, interesting concept, so. I will say though, my final note from this conference was I assist Emily already. And so to see and work with an editor that I already work with and the people she was meeting was a really good experience as well. All right. Well, thank you both. Um, Look forward to catching up with you guys uh, after your next exhibits uh, or conferences. And uh, in the meantime, yeah, onwards and upwards. Thank you, Martin. Thanks, Bethany. Thanks, Emily. Bye-bye. And that was Emily Andrew, Senior Acquisitions Editor, and Bethany Wasik, Assistant Editor. Uh, You can follow Bethany on Twitter. She's at Bethany Wasik, B-E-T-H-A-N-Y-W-A-S-I-K. 
Sadly, I haven't managed to convince Emily to jump on the Twitter wagon just yet, um, but maybe we can in the future. In the meantime, I'm Martin Beanie, and you've been listening to 1869, the Cornell University Press podcast.